So this morning is January 27th. It is 2008. Our message this morning is called, It Stops Here. It Stops Here. I ask you to turn to Psalm 34 because we'll read from that here in a minute. But you just got through singing happy birthday to me and that's a pretty normal thing. We like to celebrate the day that we all came into the world. It's worth reflecting on the fact that you were a thought in God's mind before you were ever a thought in your parents' mind. We've overcome an awful lot this week from car crashes to emergency room visits to sick children to mystery illnesses. I believe that the reason that the devil attacks the way that he attacks is because we're on the right battlefield. If we were sitting in a bless me gospel, no threat to the enemy, just consumed with selfish desires and calling it Christianity, there would be no attack except the effects of normal sin in the world. I think that the reason that this little church is so heavily opposed at times is because the enemy sees the potential that maybe even we don't see sometimes. He knows that we are dangerous to his way of life. And to that end, I want to remind you some things. I want to tell you some things. I kind of halfway asked for my mother's permission to do this, so forgive me, Mom, in advance. You know, it's always easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. I want to share with you a little bit about how I got here. Uh, that's not an attempt to be self-indulgent on my birthday. It's a chance to share with you a little bit of how God works through amazing circumstances. Well, you know I was born on the 27th. You know I'm 33, so that makes the year 1974. My mom had to go into the hospital and stay there for three days. Uh, her water broke, and uh, those of you that have had babies know that that's kind of a point of no return. It's way too early for a baby to be born, though. Uh, she was partway through her six months. That's, that's pretty early, especially in the mid-70s. One of the first things that the medical staff said to her when she got there, you've got to love the medical staff for their encouragement, is your baby is going to be born dead. Uh, and if he is born and does live, he probably won't be quite two pounds, so you can get ready for birth defects. At that point in her life, she was living back at home, feeling somewhat like a failure. Her first marriage had not worked out. She had a wonderful blessing from it, my sister who's here with us today. And her second marriage to my birth father was not working out, and she found herself separated from him. Back at home with her two sisters, her brother in the Navy, loving but a family ravaged with alcoholism and not just a whole lot of hope. She hadn't been in church since she was in elementary school and relates the story to me that she had not remembered seeing a Bible or reading it since she was in the sixth grade. You have to understand she's in a place where she sees no Christians, has no Christian friends, has no Christian family. Now, undoubtedly, my family will get this CD one day and be offended. That's good. All real learning comes through great offense. The last time that uh, she had really remembered normalcy was in her early elementary years when her parents had attended briefly a church. 
So she's sitting there, feeling a bit like a failure. The men that were supposed to be priests, whether her father or her husband, had failed in that regard and were not priests. She's been given the word that her baby is probably going to die. And she's filled with all the kind of thoughts that you might be filled with in those scenarios. What you could have done differently. Were you being punished? Can you imagine sitting there on a hospital bed thinking that you've been sitting there three days just to give birth to a dead baby, what that must feel like? The thing is, is I wasn't born dead. I was born at about two pounds like they mentioned. But I had all my fingers and toes, my ears and eyes, and obviously my mouth still worked. And in this state, my mother had begun to cry out in her heart. might remind you of another biblical story. For God to have mercy. See, she didn't want to be lost. She didn't want to be divorced. She didn't want to be separated. She didn't want to be separated from God. She just didn't know how to get where she needed to be. And so my mom had the courage in that state and in that position to, in her heart, ask God for mercy. And the baby lived. And when they sat me on her belly, by the way, I didn't find this out till 2003. Sometimes when people have had profound things happen to them, they're scared that somebody else might not understand. They might not accept it. And so they don't just toss their pearl out there for everybody to hear and everybody to step on because it's their pearl and it's precious to them. But she found the courage to write it in my journal you got to be a mom to steal somebody's journal. She found the courage to write it in my journal so that I could read it because she had a hard time telling me the details. But she said that she heard a loud and authoritative voice distinctly say, this child has been set apart for the Lord's work. Now understand it had been more than a decade since she had been in a church. She was sure that the doctors heard it. She was sure that the nurses heard it. And when she looked to see their response, and they didn't seem to hear it, she became scared and told no one because she thought they would accuse her of drug use. The medical community sometimes looks down on single women who are there giving birth by themselves, especially if babies are underweight and it's early, like the mama did something wrong. I want you to hear something, though. I stand here today as the first fruits, the first little part of a harvest of one broken-hearted woman who cried out to God for help. When we celebrate my birthday, what are we celebrating? Thank you, God, that I have life. Thank you for that. I want you to understand all of us owe our lives to the benevolent, merciful workings of an almighty God. And next time somebody has the audacity to look you in the eye and say, how could God let bad things happen? You look them in the eye and say, you are here, aren't you? You look them in the eye and say, your very life is a gift from God. Another miracle in 1978, my mother struggling to rebound from the ravages of life that many of you have experienced. Found herself in a Baptist Bible study. Now, I pick on the Baptist church on a regular basis. I feel like I'm their native son and I'm able to do it effectively. 
But I want to tell you something. My mother found hope in a little Baptist Bible study. How many of you know that they don't typically prophesy in Baptist Bible studies? Well, she found one that did. And the event that God had spoken to her years before happened again. And she found out something that in her broken life, God was not very far away. We let Michelle tell you sometimes when mom tells her, but when Michelle was baptized as a little girl, a very similar thing happened. I want to encourage you with these words in this psalm, and I want you to hear this and don't think about it as a story a long time ago. Think about this as human beings just like you with real hurts, real concerns, real needs, and then understand what the message is. Psalm 34, starting in verse 4. I sought the Lord, and He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to Him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all of his troubles. It does not say this rich, exalted king, this man with no needs. It does not say this churchgoer with their life perfectly in order and everything squared away called out to God and God heard them because of their righteousness. It says this poor man cried out. The kingdom of heaven is based upon the lonely, broken-hearted cries of the downtrodden. Those who have no hope, who are told children are dead, who see no warmth, no leadership, no love from their families, who see no leadership from their spiritual heads but have the courage to cry out, God have mercy. And He does, saints. Because our God is the kind of God that does not care where you started. He cares where you finish. My mother often has not shared that story because it is not who she is today. I don't think my mother would drink Crown Royal today if you tried to force it upon her. White wine, maybe. Maybe. But in those days, things were different and she coped in the only way that she knew how. Why would I say that? Am I trying to embarrass my mom? I'm trying to tell you when these poor people call out to our God, He hears us. And what happens after that is no coincidence. Before I was blessed with a surrogate father, with a super dad, a stepdad, I was in an environment where I was told from time to time that I was the product of a single drunk night. This was in jest. It was just a joke. The words have a way of finding their home in children's hearts. I never understood why I had such an aggressive streak growing up. I didn't know that I was desperate to show people that I was not a mistake and that I was somebody. Our God hears the cries of those who are far from Him if they will just turn their hearts towards Him. And I am no mistake. I stand here on my 33rd birthday to tell you that I am the product 
of a single moment in time where a broken-hearted mother asked for mercy. This poor man cried out, called out, and the Lord heard him and saved him from all of his troubles. You ought to spend a moment reflecting on why you're here. I get annoyed when we watch some of the television shows. Everybody says, you know, I was a crack baby, and now look where I'm at. To get sympathy from judges on things like American Idol. They play their stories up for sympathy. I have no desire to play our story up. In ministry, I have encountered thousands of people that were so far worse off than anything I've seen in my family. If you leave this country for a moment, you find out what it is to truly be broke. I heard one of our children the other day say that we were broke. We were sitting in a restaurant paying for the food. We're not broke. I'm not here to tell you, look how bad something was and how good God was. The moral to the story is that when one person cries out out of the sincerity of their heart, God hears and He moves. David found the same thing. He said, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and delivers them. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who are theologically correct, who have perfect church attendance, who have never touched an unclean thing. Those who fear Him. And in that moment, my mother feared Him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. When we take refuge, friends, we are setting up in a fortress. To take refuge is to be retreating from an enemy, saying, I don't want to participate in that. I want to take my residence in a new place. And the Bible calls it a refuge, the dwelling of God. Your family line in the Bible is called the house of, the house of the Callahan, the house of the Wakefield, the house of the Stevens or the Peros. I may have come from things that were not perfect. What generation cannot point to the one before them and see garbage? And in some families you can see a lot of garbage. But I'm here to tell you today it was not a mistake. And your lives are not a mistake because it stopped here and now. If you know that the glory of God will rest upon a single woman who hadn't been in church in years and cannot quote a Scripture because her heart cries out to Him, and from that point forward, a family line will change forever, how dare we sit idle? When you know that something like that is true, we ought to run to the bus stops. We ought to tell our neighbors. We ought to look for the ones that other churches overlook. There were no Christian missionaries in that hospital that day. There was nobody there that was an encouraging word. And in the darkness of my mother's suffering, hope broke through. And now you benefit from it today, and so do I every day I draw a breath. What would have happened if somebody had got to her sisters or her brother who is now dead from alcoholism or her father who is now dead? It stops here, thanks. My children are going to be equipped for the kingdom. My children are going to praise God in all situations and bring hope to a world. It stops here. 
Fear the Lord, all you His saints. For those who fear Him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. The lions may grow hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. You know, it was ten years before my mother's life even started to straighten out. We serve a patient God. It was 18 years total before she came into a fullness of her walk. If you have a picture of God that He is hovering above you with a stick ready to smite you for what you've done wrong, somebody has lied to you. They were trying to extort you or steal from you. The picture of God in the Scripture is of a benevolent, merciful God who is gently encouraging and instructing, trying to draw the very best out of your life. My family stands here today in Jesus because one woman dared to hope in God. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. How did they get righteous, saints? None of you were born from anything other than diseased stock. Oh, that's right. Diseased stock. Mama was a good mama. Daddy was a good daddy. Granddaddy was great. I come from a family of preachers. Diseased stock. Every bit of it. Anything descended from Adam is fatally, mortally wounded. Immediately. Death reigns. But we are declared righteous when our hearts begin to cry out to God. When we begin to do something that shows our trust in Him, and then He credits us with righteousness. And He is attentive to our cries because He doesn't desire to smite us. He wants to encourage us into the very best life for us. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off their memory from them from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the broken hearted. There are people in this room that from a statistical standpoint we know if there's as many of you in here as there are, unimaginable things have been done to you. You've participated in hurtful things, some willingly and some unwillingly. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. The devil has come to steal from you, to kill you, to destroy you, and he began sowing those seeds in your parents before you were even on the earth. We can look and blame our parents or our grandparents. We can talk about how hard things were. The reality is any time we want to stop the onslaught of stealing, killing, and destroying. All we have to do is incline our hearts towards the King. He is attentive to our cry. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Could we be any more descriptive? What does it mean to be crushed in spirit? I don't know. Maybe you think your baby is going to die. Maybe every man you had ever put your trust in has let you down in unimaginable ways. Maybe your father was abusive and your mother was not present. God is close to those who have been crushed 
in spirit. He is looking. His eyes range throughout the earth. He is searching for something. Anyone whose heart begins to become committed to Him. Saints, we stand without excuse. We can whine all day long about what's been done to us, what's been taken from us, what we didn't have, or what someone did to us. The truth is the God of the universe considers all we do. The very next psalm says it. And He is looking for a way to encourage us. The righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. A-L-L, all. It's not a laundry detergent, saints. It's what God does for us. You say, but my life has been pretty good, Eric. I have wonderful parents. And I, want, I, I lived in the Leave it to Beaver era. All of us have had sin master us. We have said things that we wished we did not say. We have tried to stop things that we could not stop. All of us in some way have experienced a slavery, some very physically and some very spiritually, but all of us were born into it. And the moment your heart begins to cry for freedom, our God is about freeing you from the ravages of slavery to sin. He provides His power. He delivers us from trouble. He protects all of His bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems His servants. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in Him. I want you to hear this. In this psalm, a poor man cries out to the Lord. Then after the Lord is meeting his need, he's beginning to trust. The very next thing he does is in the 11th verse. Come, little children, let me teach you about the Lord. Our God is interested in building a house. He's interested in building a dynasty in his name. What he begins to do is take the lonely cries of one broken-hearted person. And He will change their household forever. It stops here. Have you ever heard someone recount their family history all the way back to the signers of the Declaration of Independence or some other ridiculous thing? My grandmother on my paternal side got drunk one night. Dug into the recesses of her closet and found something that she hadn't showed anybody in 50 years. My father's father was not the man who raised him. She had a picture of his father that she had hidden for 50 years. As strange and as perverse as that is, I want you to hear something. I don't care what your last name is. I was born with the name Stevens, and yet we find out two generations before I am not a Stevens, am I? How about five generations before that? You be careful, saints, how much pride you take in your family history. You be careful how much you let the devil tell you that you are the product of something else. We are what God chooses for us to be. And our reputation starts and stops here today. You know what the Stevens household is now? Blessed by God. And you may be able to find a hundred thousand weak Pathetic, drunk, broken, sinful Stephen, 
But from this point forward, what you see is those touched by God because of the mercy of God. I have watched some struggle because their last names were changed from one to another by a legal proceeding. Your last name, saints, is what you make of your last name. Nobody who trusts in the Lord will be condemned. This poor man cried out to God and He answered him. Then that poor man began to tell his children. So there is a reciprocal effect that begins to occur. When God invests in someone, that person then goes and invests in others. And that starts in your home. And your household will never again be the same. One man leads his children drug addiction, broken-hearted, dependencies, fragile insecurities. But a righteous man, he leads his children mighty in the land, inheriting all that there is, strong before the living God, able to tap into the throne room. If you don't like your heritage, quit whining. Change it today. Our daddy God is willing to associate with us. He's willing to adopt us. That's what the Gospel's about. And in my life, around the age 10, He provided for me a visual example of Jesus. Somebody that I was not His blood. But because of His love for a bride, He adopted me as if I was His. That sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? Turn with me to Exodus 20. It stops here, saints. We'll put Dr. Phil out of business in a single day if people will apply the Word of God. Oprah and Montel and Geraldo and Tyra and as many other people as you can name won't have anything left to talk about. We can choose this day to become a part of a holy, royal, Godly, divine lineage. You can change your whole family's reputation by your love for God. In Exodus 4, Exodus 20, verse 4, we see something that all of us should have memorized. And if you don't, that's okay. You get a chance to start again today. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I am the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Keep your finger right there. Jealousy is not usually associated with something that is good. But how many husbands are very excited about their wives spending an awful lot of time at the neighbor's house? There are godly applications for jealousy. We are supposed to be desirous, protective of those we love. Usually when you hear of jealousy spoken, it's spoken of in a sinful sense, and that definitely does exist. It's the most common. When you are so insecure in yourself that you are mad that somebody you love shows anyone else attention, God is not an insecure God. He knows exactly who He is. His very name is I am that I am. How's that for being secure in yourself? But he says that he's jealousy. So if it's not a sinful insecurity, then what is this jealousy? It simply means that God is not willing to share your desires 
with anything else. He wants to fight for you. The world will tell you there is no hope. You are a failure. It has chewed you up and spit you out. And God says, I'm willing if you're willing. It can stop here. I'm jealous for you. I'm sick with how much time you've spent in the world. I wanted you in my kingdom. He provides a statement of truth here. It's where your finger is. Punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. In what way is somebody's children punished if they hated God? You don't have to get a theological commentary to understand this, saints. Most of you have lived it. If daddy hated God, and granddaddy, or grandfather hated God, and great-grandfather hated God, you have a household full of people that hated God. Children are always affected by their environment. I worked with a car salesman, and I asked him when he first started using drugs, his father injected him at age eight. A father's sin will affect the third and fourth generation. Why third and fourth? That's as many people as usually live at one time. And this is the day when they lived in the same household. Great-grandfather, grandfather, father, son. Four generations. You never have great-great-grandfathers alive. One man's wickedness will affect all the way down. We spend our time often lamenting, worrying, upset. There's a whole movement in the church to go back and examine those generations. I think the next line so far outweighs it that you could almost forget about three and four generations. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. The curses that your grandfather and father have brought into your life by way of environment and habit are erased the moment that we begin to call out to God. And for a thousand generations your progenitory will benefit from the fact that you love God. What the devil does can be erased in three or four generations. What God does in your life can't be erased in a thousand. The truth is a thousand here is used in Hebrew in the same way that we would use a million, or maybe now a billion, or a billion times a billion. It was meant to be an infinite number. It might as well say as long as the earth exists. If you don't like your heritage... Start it again right now. Deuteronomy 7. Go ahead and turn there. Good, good, good. In Deuteronomy 7, starting in verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is faithful God keeping His covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love Him and keep His commands. But those who hate Him, He will repay to their face by destruction. He will not be slow to repay to their face those who hate Him. Therefore, take care to follow the commands, decrees and laws I give you today. Very plainly, before His creation, sets forth both kindness and sternness. He says, I am with at this moment to change your family history for a thousand generations, to let you dwell on the richness of the land, all you have to do is incline your heart towards me. But if we persist in hating God and hating His ways... Now, nobody ever admits to that. 
I don't hate God. Me and Him are fine. I just hate everybody who really loves Him. I don't really hate God. I just don't do anything that He says. I've just so seared my conscience that I don't hear Him at all, so I'm indifferent to Him. I don't hate Him. We have a choice whether or not we want to be blessed or participate in retribution. That choice is before all mankind, and it always has been. It's called obedience towards blessing or disobedience towards death. And the world already stands in disobedience. We have to get out of that household and into the righteous one. This poor man cried out to the Lord, and He saved him from all of his troubles. His desire, God's desire is that we will take Him into our lives and change. We sang about Psalm 24. Turn there. We're going to turn a lot from this point forward. That's not an apology. It's a warning. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. He founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. Anybody ever work on a car? Get your hands dirty? Are they still dirty today? What did you do? Washed them. He who has clean hands. This doesn't mean you were born with clean hands. It doesn't mean that you have perpetually clean hands. It means that you have washed your hands. And a pure heart. Anybody in here ever thought a bad thought? Some of you thinking it now about me? <laughs> we have a choice every day whether to wash our hands and purify our hearts. When we cast out the thoughts that we know are wrong and choose to dwell on God, the things you're taught in church, taught in His Word, we are purifying our hearts. When we do those things, we are able to ascend His hill, ascend into His presence. He will receive a blessing from the Lord and vindication from God His Savior. Verse 6, Such is the generation of those who seek Him, who seek your faith, O God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors. <laughs> Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up your ancient doors. Every human being has got in him something that you would say can't be done. How many of you say God can do anything? How many of you would say that, right? We even have nice little theological names for it, right? Omnipotence. That sounds great, doesn't it? I want to submit to you today that the most powerful force in the universe resides in you right now. It's called your free will. God gave it to you. He does not make you accept Him. He does not make you reject Him. When God presents before us life and we stiff-arm it, we have exercised our free will in a way that prevents God from moving. But He says, if you will lift up your heads, O gates, He's speaking of your heart as if it is already in a fortress. And He's saying, make room. Open up the gates. Open up your fortress that I might take you to be with me and mine. Or I might come in and dwell in yours and change it. Our hearts are locked up from birth like a fortress, resistant to the moving of God. 
How many of you, when you start to worship, especially the first few times, as soon as you start to kind of enjoy it, you have this strange feeling like, like it's awkward. When I first started worshiping was with Matthew, I felt like I was in stone underwear. Still clap like that, right? Uh, start to raise my hands, my eyes are closing. We're so macho. So much bravado. As long as we're doing what everyone else is doing. We're in the fortress of our own making. The facade that everyone sees. When we realize just how wretched and poor it is and begin to cry out to God, something happens. Lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. The God of the universe has presented Himself before you like an approaching King and says, Will you make room for Me? And all that is required, all that He is looking for, is for us to say, This fortress of mine is not working out all that well anyway. I meant for it to protect me from all of the hurt out there, and instead, it's become a fence that keeps it all in. I meant for this facade to show everyone how great I am. Show them that I'm somebody to be contended with. I'm somebody not to be trifled with. I'm somebody others should desire. These are all the facades that the world wears. And we wear them like a refuge. This will protect me. Look at my suit. Look at my car. Look at my house. Look at how I speak. And instead it has become a prison trapping hurt inside of us. And at some point, God allows the situation to get to a place where you'll say, it's not working out very well. Will you help me? He says, sure, baby, just raise the gates and the mighty God to save will come in. You would think that after a baby is delivered from death immediately, the whole hospital would have come out and rejoiced, right? They did what they always do. Some live, some die. It's a coincidence. It's a miracle. My sister gets healed of cancer. You would think that would have swept all over the city. They would have rushed to hear about Jesus. Sometimes cancer goes into remission. This is not remission, saints. It's healing. That's locking themselves in their own fortress, thinking it protects them. And it is a prison of hurt and pain that will damn you eventually. The Lord Almighty, He is the King of glory. Psalm 22, verse 30 and 31. I'm going to read it to you because I'm going to run out of time. It says, Posterity will serve Him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim His righteousness to a people yet unborn, for He has done it. Why does God hear the lonely, broken cry of a mother who just wants her son to live? Because He cares about a people yet unborn. And He knows every heart He touches has the potential to go and touch others. If that's not true, why are you sitting here today? I could have just been another abortion. I could have just been infant death. God had other plans. 
And that's not because anybody in my family was righteous. The beauty in it is none of us were. That's what's beautiful about it. But we wanted something better. Psalm 102, verse 18. I'll read this one to you. It says, Let this be written for a future generation that a people not yet created may praise the Lord. The Lord looked down from a sanctuary on high. From heaven He viewed the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners and release those condemned to death. So the name of the Lord will be declared in Zion and His praise in Jerusalem when the peoples and the kingdoms assemble to worship Him. God had His special word packaged for people yet unborn a generation that hadn't heard it. Because God wants to change things for a thousand generations. He wanted you to be a part of a different household than the one you were born to. When I began to get this revelation, those who loved me said, Eric, it is like you love that church, different church at the time, more than you love your own family. They said it in disgust, with contempt. And I was young and stupid, so I said, you are right. I do. I love it much more than I love y'all. But you can come and be a part of it. It has taken years and years and years. But we are all in the household of God now. And you know what? We're going to go backwards and get the stragglers that are in the generations before us but still alive. Because it stops here. No more are people going to die without having been told or getting the hope that God can change their circumstances. And the cry of everybody, but they're too far gone. She's been an alcoholic so long, she can't even hear you. What if she does? You'll never make a difference. I might make a difference for her. What does it cost us, saints? What does it cost us to show mercy to someone? How much does it set you back to give a little bit of what you get every day? Say, but they have foul language. You've never had foul language? That's not the point. I don't want to be subjected to it. Oh, you're too holy to be next to their uncleanness. Then how did you get saved? We serve the kind of God that hears the lepers coming, knows that it's against the law to be with them because it makes them unclean, makes Him unclean. But He knew if they accepted, they'd be healed and wouldn't be lepers anymore. Faith always risks something. Faith always puts something at risk. I have relatives that I love. I don't love them as much as I love you, but I love them. So, well, why do you put yourself in that position over and over in the hope that they might change? Oh, but they're not going to. They may not. How many times did you hear the gospel before you got saved? Since we have to hold out hope that any poor man can cry out to God and forget all that. Well, yeah, but... All of that is a defense against us acting. God requires us to act, to lay down our hurt, to lay down our pride, to lay down ourselves and do something. (laughs) Psalm 112. Turn to Psalm 112. Our households are forever changed. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the
and who fears the Lord, who finds great delight in His commands. His children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in His house, and His righteousness endures forever. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright, for the gracious and compassionate and righteous man. Good will come to him who is generous and lends freely, who conducts his affairs with justice. Surely he will never be shaken. A righteous man will be remembered forever. He will have no fear of bad news. His heart is steadfast, trusting the Lord. The benefit that we leave our children is that no matter how dark things get, they will find the light in it because they know their God is at work. That no matter how much they have to give away, God will give them what they need. We will give them the blessedness of security in God in every situation. Since I'll tell you a secret, it doesn't matter whether we're talking about movie stars that died or your neighbor across the street. This world is motivated by insecurity and fear. In the kingdom, we are motivated by trust and love. They're polar opposites. And we can teach our children that so that our house will be different forever. Psalm 145, I don't have time to read to you. You should write that down. If you have a pen, write down Psalm 145. It teaches something. It teaches that one generation commends God. That means they recommend Him. They speak of Him. They exalt Him to the next generation. And this is how the glory of God's kingdom spreads. My grandfather was the meanest man that I have ever known, period. That's not to say that he never did a good thing. He did good things, even for some people in this room and those listening. But he never said a kind word. Never. Even when he was trying to be affectionate. The words that he used were the kind of thing most people would slap somebody for saying. I don't like that. I'm not drawn to it. It's not something I want to imitate. From this point forward in the Stevens clan, that will never occur again. Because I now have the power to receive God's mercy, to receive His forgiveness, and to do it differently with my son, who will only know that and we'll move forward with His Son in the same way. And in this way, the glory of God grows. I don't have time to tell the story, but I want to tell you there's a reason my grandfather was the meanest man I ever met. His grandfather was a Christian, riding his horse from one town to another. And the preacher accused him of a sin he didn't commit and hurt feelings got in. So three generations, almost four, of my family went to hell because of somebody's hurt feelings. How much are hurt feelings holding you back? Who is it you can't show love to? Can't even think of without your lip curling because they hurt you. Since we're all guilty. Every one of us. Not one of us. We're all like a filthy rag before God. Accept that. He credits us with righteousness. Do not be like a merchant who had many debts and was forgiven his then went out and choked somebody that owed him money. How wicked would that be? God is not at all interested in the place that you met, where you started from. He is absolutely 100% concerned with the place you finish. 
It's in this parable in Matthew 21. It'll be the 28th verse, and you ought to be familiar with it, so I'm just going to read it to you. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. How many of you would be happy with that? Judah, if I said, Son, go wash the car now. And Judah looked at me and said, I will not. What do you think would happen? Don't answer that. You can tell by his face what would happen. But remember, there is a powerful force. Something that works outside of, in many ways, God's omnipotence. What did I tell you it was? Free will. In this scenario, I would force Judah to go wash the car with me. God does not force you, saints, because He wants to see what you do willingly out of your own heart. He will allow you to be in horrible situations in the hope that you will look to Him for something better. Most of us are just like Pharaoh, though. As soon as the horrible situation lets up, so does our interest in God. I don't know how God brought you here to this place today. I don't really care now that we mention it. I do care where you go from here. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. I don't know how many times God has prompted you and you said, I will not. You said, never, never have I said that. Your actions have said it many times, I assure you. We all have the ability to do something. All the power of hell cannot prevent you from changing your mind about God. The devil might be allowed to torment you in many ways, but he is not allowed to control your ability to repent. You might be all the way to Los Angeles and realize you needed to be in New York. But it is not too late to turn around. The same road that took you away from God can bring you back if you are just willing to try. It is not too late. You just have to want to change your family destiny. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will! <laughs> but did not go. <clears throat> it's almost as if he was talking to the church. I will. I will do your will. I'll, do, I'll put your stickers all over my car. But I won't love anybody that doesn't love me. If they slap me, they better look out. I'll love you, Lord, as long as I'm blessed. Pay me to love you. That's what I want. Like a greedy teenager with his hand out all of the time. That's what's wrong with the gospel of greed. The motivation is wrong. It's not that the product's not true. How many righteous people do you know started with nothing and now have an abundance? Of course that's true. Happens all of the time. But that's because their goal was the kingdom first and other things got added. Not, oh, I'll do the kingdom if I get rich. It's another message. In 1 Corinthians 1, let's turn there. 1 Corinthians 1. Good, first one there. The rest of you get there. 1 Corinthians 1. Here comes the 26th verse. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. <laughs> what if you got this letter? I one time went to the 
Port Hudson Civil War, what we call it? Battlefield. They had computers there. God, don't you love the computer age? You can find out anything you want to know in a matter of a few minutes. My wife goes to the computer. She types in her last name to see if anybody in her family ever fought there. They were men of ranking in the Confederacy, right? Men of ranking. So I said, oh, wow. I typed in our last name. They were deserters. <laughs> we were dating. This was not cool. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many of noble birth. But God chose. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before Him. It is because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus who was to become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Jesus asked those Pharisees about the two sons. Which one do you think did God's will? They said the first. Jesus then said this to them. I tell you the truth. Tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom ahead of you. For God, John came to show you the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. Even after you saw this, you refused to believe in him. Saints, I'm saying that it doesn't matter where you have come from. If you come from the lowliest place on the planet, God will use your redemption story to shame those that had more to start with. And if you came from the highest place on the planet, He will use your story to encourage those that don't think of themselves highly. He can do anything. In Acts 28, turn there. I'm going to read to you from two more passages. We started late, so we're going to finish late. And it's my birthday. So, for my birthday, will anybody give me five more minutes? Who will give me five more minutes? Five, ten, fifteen. We got about fifteen minutes. And that's stingy. But we'll do it. I'm not old enough yet to be a crafty preacher. Y'all saw that coming, didn't you? I told you to go to Acts, didn't I? be nice if I went to Acts then. We could read it together. In Acts 28, there is a simple story about a man who shipwrecked on the island of Malta. Pick up with me in the third verse. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself onto his hand. Nice, huh? Anybody want a viper to bite him? When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand. They said to each other, my friends, people will talk. <laughs> they will. This man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. <laughs> One of the neat things about God is that he will allow snakes to bite you from time to time. And others will say what they say. Oh, if this man loved God, if he was who he said he was, surely he would know what kind of woman was touching him. You remember they said that about him? Oh, if this man was God, he did so much for everybody else, he can take himself down from the cross. 
right? Even the nation of God. If they're really the nation of God, why does he allow them to be enslaved in other nations? So, I don't know what you struggle with. I don't know what your weaknesses are, and I don't want to know. I know we have the same disease. We're being cured, and every once in a while, sin pops up, and you've got to push it down. I know this, though. People are looking. They're looking to see how you deal with it. And the fact that you're going to be bitten is 100% certainty. What you do with it and their reaction is what comes next. Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. Last time you experienced a trial, did you whine to everyone that you know? Did you see if you could garner pity from people? Did you even stretch the boundaries of the story to make them understand how hard it was for you? In the kingdom, when we endure trials, when we endure hardships, when the enemy fastens himself on our ribs, we're supposed to treat it like we would any intruder, like a dog that tried to bite you while you were walking down the street. You shake it off and you keep moving. He said he suffered no ill effects. Do you think that means it didn't hurt him? Think he didn't bleed? Vipers have big teeth? Oh, I bet he did. But I bet he acted as if he suffered no ill effects. And it certainly didn't kill him. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said, He's a God. If you want people to see the glory of God, the way in which you deal with the things in life that hurt you is how they will see. They came to the wrong conclusion. They said, Paul is a God. That is not true. Paul worshipped the living God and was one of his sons. When we shake off the things that would ensnare other people, that would kill other people, the world sees hope. They're going to assume you're a sinner as soon as they meet you. Everybody else they've met has been. And every Christian has been a hypocrite, right? Don't you hear it all the time, just like I did? When they get a chance to see something different is when a painful experience that would kill most people doesn't face you. Saints, if you were dead when he found you and he gave you life, what do you have left to fear? When's the last time you heard a dead man groaning about his pride? A dead, you ever walked by a cemetery and heard somebody offended? They reached a hand up out of the grave and said, you know, it offended me when you said that. The Bible says we were dead men. And the life we have, we now have in Jesus. One more story I have for you. This is where my birthday gift comes in. Go to Joshua 2. It all stops here, saints. Or starts here. Depends on your frame of reference. Joshua 2. <laughs> then Joshua, son of Nun. I didn't think nuns did that. Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from a place in Israel. Go look over in the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute. You have a little footnote there? Or possibly innkeeper. We're looking for any way to... The problem is in Greek later... Not Hebrew, but Greek. They said prostitutes. So how can we reinterpret this one when later the word that is continuous and unbroken 
says she was a prostitute. How'd you like to send your spies out and find out they hung out in a prostitute's house? You'd get fired from being a spy like that, couldn't you? <laughs> men of God that are truly men of God. I don't mean men who are looking for some way to sin. I'm talking about men of God have never truly cared what others said about their reputation. They didn't care as much about what would happen to them as what would happen to the other person if they didn't go. See, this woman was a prostitute. But when we're done with this story, I want you to think about something. What if the righteous men had been too righteous to choose her house? Named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. What were you when the Word of God first entered you and you began to believe? You began to hope. God's a jealous God. We read that in the commandments, correct? You've been dedicated to Him from birth? From birth, did you uh, call on Him, always getting it right, always doing it right? If not, then the Bible says that we were idolaters. That means something else had our desire and our affection alongside or other than God, either. You know what that makes you? Well, you can guess. If you were pledged to one God, but you were loving the others, whether or not you got paid for it, that made you something. But the Word entered into you. It came in by way of faith. It came in in a manner of mercy, like a farmer sowing seed. And there is a king in the land that we live in. And all he wants to do is rip that seed, rip that Word right out of your house so you can go on being what Rahab was. But God Himself has planted something because He wants a harvest and a reaction. It says, But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. The Psalms teach us to hide God's Word in our hearts so that we may not sin against Him. Rahab's house is like your heart. She said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. She didn't learn that in church. What did she just do? Because she was willing to do anything to keep this precious Word of God that had entered her house. Sometimes even the wrong actions can be credited as righteousness if you have the right motive. That's not an excuse to go do it wrong. God can overlook almost anything if your heart is right. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all of us who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you for the Lord your God 
is the God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. The Word of God entered by way of the spies, the ambassador of the nation of God, into Rahab's house. The king in the area fought for her to give them up, but she refused. And the longer they dwelled there, the more her faith in God grew. Saints, the further we plant this Word of God into our house, our houses, the less we become like a prostitute and the more we become like a woman who belongs in the lineage of Jesus Himself. This woman's children's 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 children birthed Jesus, the Messiah. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us this land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. Now she had said to them, Go to the hills so that the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourself there for three days until they return and then go your way. Then the men said to her, This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother and your brothers and all your family into your house, if anyone goes outside your house to the street, his blood will be on his own head. We will not be responsible. She goes on and agrees. Saints, I'm telling you today that it doesn't matter what your house was like when you were born into it, your house being your family line. If you will accept the Word of God into your heart, it will change your house from a house of ill repute into a holy and royal dwelling of God's people. And that you will bring all of your family members into that house and it will save their lives from death as well. Incidentally, Rahab hung her scarlet cord there. She married into Israel. Do you know what that made her family eventually? Israeli. See, saints, we have the ability to change our heritage. We have the ability to say, it stops here. Today, I stand with God. Joshua in the 24th chapter said the same thing. Choose today who you'll serve. If it seems undesirable for you to serve God, then don't. But me and my household, all the people after him, will serve the Lord. Peter 2.9 says this to us, and this is what we close with. But you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of wrongdoing, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. I stand here today on my 33rd birthday because somebody in my family began to hope that God could do something different. Now, all of my children, their children, 
their children after them can be credited to the household of God because of that. The scarlet cord hangs in the Stephen's household from here forever. I suspect it will in the Callahan's household and in so many other households in here. Your line can stop here and start afresh. Stand up. Next time you see my mom, give her a big hug. God knows my sister and I tried to kill her when we were teenagers. I'm told that she's getting gray hair, but that's all my sister's fault. (laughs) Saints, if you're desirous of something better, if somewhere in the recesses of your heart you can begin to hope for something better, then start hiding God's Word in your heart. It will change you thoroughly. And everybody that comes into contact with you will bear a mark that they've been in contact with the sons of God. Y'all, let's pray.